podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Friday Nights here on Focused on Forward. So it's another Friday evening. We have another story, uh, another guest here tonight to tell us their story, rather. And I'm particularly excited to talk to Joy tonight. Um, her name is Joy Gandell. That's our guest. Uh, Joy is going to come on in a couple moments, and we're going to talk to her about the health situation that her daughter went through. Uh, so she'll she'll tell you the story. I'm not going to get too much into that, but it, it's a very easily understood if as a parent, especially for myself, I look at her story and go, I understand how that could be a traumatic experience with what she went through with her daughter, how that could have affected her daughter traumatically and all these different things because of our own family experiences with our daughter, with Kendall having gone through uh, some situations and hospital stays and, and things like that with her Guillain-Barre diagnosis. So there's, there's a lot to unpack here, uh, but we're going to have a, a really, uh, upbeat and encouraging conversation with Joy about what her daughter went through, how the 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 fight for remission took place, and how they have become focused on forward as a family. So I'm I'm really excited to to have this conversation with her. And the other reason why I'm excited to have this conversation with Joy is is not just because she, of what she's gone through, but Joy is also a fellow podcaster, and she's got a really awesome show that I, I'm hoping you guys after tonight you'll you'll hear her story, you'll hear you'll hear how Joy goes talks about things, and and uh, you know I'm hoping that you'll go check out her show, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And uh, but yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack here tonight, so I'm excited to have her on. But before we bring Joy out, let's have a quick word from our sponsor, the kind folks at Vital Signs and Graphics. Since 1982, Vital Signs and Graphics has been helping professionals with all their image, logo, and design needs. Perhaps you're looking for signs and banners, truck and trailer lettering, business cards, brochures, or other image and marketing aids, Vital Signs and Graphics in-house design studio has you covered. From logos to apparel, start to finish, Vital Signs and Graphics has everything you need to look and feel professional. Call Rick at 231-652-3300. He'll get you noticed. All right, that's our, our host sponsor here. That is Vital Signs and Graphics. So, and remember, if you're watching on Facebook, to allow StreamYard to have permission to access your name and your um identity picture. I can't remember what they call that. But anyway, you know, the little picture, the circle of you. Yeah. So that we know who you're talking to, because you'll be able to enter questions here on the screen for both Joy and I to answer. Uh, and you can do that as well. If, if you're on uh, Twitch or on YouTube, you don't have to do that. You'll just be that's a that's a special fun rule for just 
you Facebook folks. So at this time, let's take a moment and welcome our guest, Joy Gandell. Welcome to the show, Joy. Hi, thank you so much, Tim. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get to know a little bit more about your story, uh, your daughter's story, and uh, kind of, you know, kind of figure out where she's at health-wise and, you know, where she's kind of gone, you know, take us back to where you started with this and to where we're at now. And so, yeah, just whenever you're ready, go ahead and, and, and bring us into your story, please. Thank you. Um, so at the end of November 2016, so a few years ago, my daughter had some fatigue, and, but more than normal. And I would know, and I noticed this for a few days and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, it's just a virus. And I said, you sure? The fatigue is really extensive. Like she's napping after school. And at this point, my daughter's in grade four and okay. uh, she's nine years old. And I thought it was very strange because she usually has so much energy. And the doctor said, nothing to worry about. Fine. I think a week and a half later, my husband and my son are off at a hockey tournament somewhere in Quebec. I live in Quebec, Canada. And they're somewhere in the province at this hockey tournament. And they leave on a Friday morning. My daughter comes home Friday afternoon and she looks a wreck. She cannot mm. keep herself awake. And she goes, sits in a chair and passes out. She's completely exhausted and falls asleep. I do some work. And when she wakes up, I go see her. And now she's got a cough. And she, her breathing is funny. And she has a very high fever. So I okay. give her meds. And I'm really thinking, she, this is the virus that's coming out that we were told about a week ago. And I'm just going to treat this fever like any parent would treat a fever. And every time the fever went up, her breathing was strange. And I'm asthmatic. I've been asthmatic since I'm 18 months old. And so for me, seeing a child with breathing issues is like an emotional trigger for me. It, it causes oh, anxiety. Sure. Okay. And so I didn't like the breathing issues that she had, but I said, nope, I'm being anxious. I'm just going to treat this. And by Sunday night, she was doing significantly better. We pick up my husband and son, and they're like, is she going to school on Monday? And I said, no, because she hasn't been 24 hours without fever. Monday morning, she wakes up, and she has no fever, but her breathing is really not great. So I bring her to the doctor, and the doctor says, well, you know what? Let's do an x-ray and see if she has walking pneumonia. Apparently, there's such a thing as walking pneumonia. Yeah. Let's go check that out. Fine. We go to the radiology, like the scanning plate in Quebec. It's very different than in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So we go to an imaging center and she has an x-ray done. I got to be in the room where the pictures were coming up on the computer screen while the technician was with my daughter. And they did her chest before they did her sinuses. And so... I see all of a sudden this image of her lungs come up onto the computer screen. And as I mentioned, I'm asthmatic. When I was in grade five, I had, no, sorry, grade six, I had a collapsed lung. And I okay. remember what the x-ray looked like. It looked like one whole side of, one whole lung was blacked out. Right. And so that's exactly what I saw 
on the x-ray. And so I'm like, oh, that's not a good thing. My daughter comes out and we're sitting in the waiting room waiting for the results. And the next thing I know, I see the technician run out of the room, scream for the radiologist. And the radiologist screams to the receptionist, get me the doctor on the phone now. And I'm looking at this scene play out and I'm thinking, yeah, I guess she has pneumonia. And they send me back to the doctor. And when we get to the doctor, the doctor says, I've called ahead. The children's emergency room is waiting for you to come with your daughter. Oh, my. And I said, okay, should I call my husband and have him meet us there? He says, I think it's a good idea. And I said, what are we looking at here? And he says, there might be an abscess in her lung. So I think nothing of it. And I drive her. I meet my husband halfway. And we all go to the emergency room together. And as promised, they were waiting for us. And two respirologists met us. And they said that she needed a CT scan. And they hooked her up to IV right away. By this time, her fever came back. And I thought, okay, so we're really looking at pneumonia. Because right. she had eaten, we had to wait three hours before her CT. And they told us that we would be there overnight until we got the results. So as we prepared to hunker down for the evening... All of a sudden, they came and they asked my husband and I to come into the family room to discuss my daughter. And when we walked into the family room, there were already uh, six or eight doctors waiting there for us. And so we sat down and one of the doctors quickly... so. Um, it was two emergency room doctors, two respirologists, two oncologists, and two surgeons. And the emergency room doc looked to us and said, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. David Mitchell. He's the head of oncology here at the Children's Hospital. And our hearts sank. And he basically told us that she has a 99% chance of having a malignant tumor in her chest wall. We didn't know where, and he couldn't name the cancer yet. That would come upon biopsy. Okay. So we were in shock, to say the very least. Uh, my husband had lost his mother to cancer when she was 50. So he was in his, I think it was early 20s. So to have his daughter then diagnosed at the age of nine with cancer um, was really quite traumatic for my husband. Yeah, that I can only imagine that would have to have been tough. Um, we well, spoke with you, the, yes, go ahead. Let me ask you a quick question, Joy. As you're going through this and now, I'm because some of the things that you're talking about, I'm, I'm kind of comparing notes with, with what we went through with my daughter and, and, uh, you know, not, they're not a, exactly the same lane, but there's, there's some similarities here. What was your mindset as you were going from this hospital to that hospital? And, you know, what was, what was going through your mind as you were, you know, preparing to go to the, the children's hospital, to the emergency area, you're meeting your husband there. What's going through your mind at that point? So dark thoughts, um, I'll be honest, and this sure. I really haven't shared with too many people. So every year, 
where we live, our children's hospital does an annual radiothon to raise money for the hospital. And during this, I don't know, I think it's eight hours, nine hours of this radiothon, they constantly have parents on sharing their stories of getting awful uh, news from the doctors in the emergency room that they go in thinking one thing and boom, they walk out that day with a terrible diagnosis. And every year I would listen and cry. And as I'm driving to the hospital with my daughter in the car, I'm thinking, what if this is cancer? Because a year prior to that, we had um, the funeral of a boy in her class who was diagnosed with cancer and passed away. Oh, okay. And they too, they thought, you know, they went to the doctor thinking it's one thing and found out that he has an incurable cancer and he only had nine months to nine to 18 months to live. So I knew that story and I knew all of these stories from the radiothon. And so that was the first thought. And I kept saying, I can't think about that. I can't think about that. I can't be nervous and anxious like mm-hmm. that. Okay. And so you have, like, I had dark thoughts. It was not the norm to go from an x-ray to see the doctor, and then they're already pre-planning your trip to the emergency room. Right. It's not normal. So it it was scary. And it's almost like an out-of-body experience I had. I'm hearing the news. My mouth went dry. I thought I was going to be sick. And it, it wasn't real. Yeah. It just wasn't real. And I, how could it be? What, like, is this really happening? Mm-hmm. And then you're then you're asking like, what do you tell your daughter? Like, we have to go back and see her now. Like, how do I go back and see her? And they're like, well, we're not going to tell her yet. And I said, well, what are we going to tell her? Like, it's not even in my realm of thinking that I can start thinking, what am I going to tell my daughter? Right. So the, the oncologist handled it beautifully. Thank God, because I would not have been able to do it. And she, she believed the story and we went home and for a week so that was a monday tuesday we had off so my husband and i my daughter uh she stayed she was at home from school they said she has to stop going to school right away family came to the house to be with her while my husband and i were calling people to let our closest friends and family know what was happening um we spent the morning crying I understand and um, we get we told our son we have an like he's 22 months older than my daughter. So we told him the same story that we told her. And then on Wednesday, she had a PET scan. Thursday, she had pre-op because she was having a biopsy on that Friday. So we pretty much had every single day taken care of. And then the following week, we waited Monday, we waited, and then on Tuesday, they called to say to come in on Wednesday to get the results. 
And so on Wednesday, we found out for sure it was a malignant tumor. We found out for sure uh, the, the type of tumor it was, okay. it's Ewing's sarcoma. And Ewing's sarcoma is a, a solid, soft tissue cancer. And for my daughter, it was growing out of her fifth right rib and it destroyed her rib. It also was starting to eat into um, the rib above and below. And so we knew that, well, they told us that she would have to have surgery to remove the tumor, but also to remove some ribs um, and that she needed chemo first to shrink the tumor and hopefully kill the whole thing and okay. then have the surgery. And then she would have chemo afterwards. And what they weren't sure is whether or not she would require radiation as well. Okay. And they said that decision would only be made after surgery. So chemo started on December 1st, 2016. She had 12 weeks of chemo. Um, we were told she was going to lose her hair at around three, week three, four. And sure enough, week three, four, she lost her hair. But I had made her a promise that I would shave off my hair and I would keep being without hair until her hair would grow back. So... Um, I think she took the news a little bit better because she knew she wasn't going to go through that alone. Um, so we both lost our hair. I think it was week four. And then she struggled. So she started chemo on December 1st, which was on a Friday. Saturday morning, we were admitted. So Saturday morning, she got another dose of chemo and then we were released. And that's when she stopped talking. And she stopped talking. She was a chatterbox. Okay. And she stopped talking and she was vomiting and she refused to drink. And no matter what I tried to give her, she refused. And by Sunday night, she was very weak because she was still not eating or drinking and she was still not talking. And Monday morning, we were scheduled to go into the hospital anyways, because they had to teach me how to give her these injections. Okay. So when there at that point she was no longer able to walk she was so weak and so I was carrying her and she couldn't hold her head up and the nurses noticed a huge difference and I said you need to help me like something serious is not right here and no one is able to talk to me right and so they pulled me aside and they told me that she was seriously dehydrated, which I was not shocked. And I had actually told the doctor, because they said that for some children, they stop eating because the chemo changes your, um, your taste buds. And that there's the possibility of having a feeding tube put in your nose. And if it doesn't stay in the nose, then in the stomach. And because my daughter yeah. was already very thin and a very light eater, I said, that's going to be her. I guarantee you she's going to need a feeding tube. We might as well put it in right now. And they said, no, 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 we have to give her a chance. So that Monday, they said she will likely be a candidate for a feeding tube. I said, yes, I said that even before I knew this was going to happen. Right. And sure enough, a few hours later, we had to help her learn to accept the feeding tube putting through her nose down her throat. That was not great. And she's, she continued not to speak. So I was desperate. I, they got a psychologist to see us. 
Um, but the psychologist explained that she's she's in shock herself. The chemo mm -hmm. is literally exploding in her body, and she doesn't she's never felt such a terrible thing in her life. And she's processing, and she's going through a trauma. And so I I wondered like, am I ever going to see the old my old daughter and her personality back? Um, it was a really rough day Monday. And then Tuesday, the doctor clowns came by and they got her to laugh. And after that, she started coming back to us. And, uh, and then she became a going concern. She was dictating. So through treatments, she would dictate to the doctors terms and conditions that she would agree. So my sister and brother-in-law and their kids live in California. And my sister-in-law flew in to see my kids, to see how they were doing. And my daughter was scheduled for a blood transfusion. And so I brought her to the hospital and she was not happy. And she said to the doctor, do you understand what I'm missing to be here for this blood transfusion? And so he said, okay, fine, <laughs> fine. I will let you go for the weekend and you could come back on Monday morning, and get your blood transfusion. And so things like this, the hospital was very concerned about her mental health as well as her physical health. So wherever they could make those, bend the rules so that yeah. she had wins and she had um, a say yeah. and choice in her own destiny, they gave it to her. And That's awesome. I cherish that. In the adult hospitals, that would never happen. So no. it was it was amazing what they did for her. So she had 12 weeks of chemo before. And then on February in February 2017, she had surgery. So they removed three ribs. Okay. Um, and then took another rib, dislocated it, and then put it up and across so that she wouldn't have such a big hole, gaping hole, and her lung would be protected. Okay. Um, and then they decided that she would, in fact, get radiation. So post-surgery, she went straight. She had chemo, and then she had five weeks of radiation at the same time. So for five straight weeks, she was doing chemo and radiation every single day. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was rough. That, That's rough. And I that was another time where her, like mentally, she hit rock bottom. Going to the hospital every single day. Um was awful for her, was really awful. It was awful for us too. It, it ate up the whole day. Like our whole day was spent in the hospital. Yeah. Um, and so when that came to an end, we were grateful. She went back to just chemo and things were going well until June. Six weeks after radiation, she comes to me one morning, she wakes up and she again has difficulty breathing. And I'm like, what's going on? And all she did was walk from her bedroom to this office where I'm sitting right now. And she's completely out of breath. And I'm like, what is happening now? So I called the day clinic where the oncologists are. And I said, her breathing is totally not right. And they had us come in right away. And they said, we think she might have something called radiation pneumonitis. We won't know for sure. But and my son was graduating grade six that 
night. So they said, because you have a family thing, go. She's still okay. Like she's not great, but she's still able to be at okay. home. So we we did. We went to the graduation. Everything was great. And something woke me up in the middle of the night. I don't remember what it was. It must have been three o'clock in the morning. And I was like, you know what? I need to check on her breathing. Something, it just, I need to do it. Okay. Sure enough, I go check on her breathing. I'm counting her breaths. And her breathing is like so bad. And I call the oncologist on call in the middle of the night. And I tell her how many breaths per minute she's taking. And she's like, I'm calling the emergency room. You need to go right away. So we go and her breathing's awful. Her oxygen saturation and her blood is terrible. They hook her up to oxygen. And for the next 10 days, we are trying to figure out like how bad the radiation pneumonitis is. Is it really radiation pneumonitis? And all mm -hmm. the while she's on oxygen. So they finally figure it out and they put her on prednisone. And she does that for two weeks and improves. But the minute she comes off pregnant prednisone, she gets bad again. And so we go back and forth. And finally, her respirologist, I said, can't we just keep her on prednisone for a while? Like this two weeks on, two weeks off. Clearly, the prednisone works. We need to do something. We right. can't just let her. And they had already warned me that if the swelling in her lungs turns into scar tissue, she might be on oxygen for the rest of her life. So I said, I want to prevent that as much as possible. Exactly. And so we came up with a plan and we went contrary to all the doctors in the department and we put her on prednisone, a high dose for a significant amount of time. In the end, she was on high dose prednisone or at least on prednisone for over a year. Okay. And, um, but it was working. And her lungs, she was able to be okay. And so we finally finished at the end of August. We finished all of her chemo and all of the treatments. And she went back to school in October. Oh, wow. Yeah, October of 2017. So almost a full year after her treatments ended. And, uh, and that's when the healing had to start taking place. Like your adrenaline just mm -hmm. goes and goes and goes for that year. You're focused on getting through. Right. And when the chemo stopped, it was like the security blanket that kept the cancer at bay was taken away. And for my daughter, who was just happy to move on and the rest of my family, my son, my husband, everybody was able to be happy and joyous and no pun intended. And I couldn't, I couldn't escape the feeling that something bad was about to happen. And sure enough, um, Canadian Thanksgiving. So literally a few weeks later, and we find out that we had a scare. We didn't know what it was. And we went the whole Canadian Thanksgiving weekend knowing that they see something in her scans and we don't know what it is. And so that was our first scare. And we've had two or three in total now because it'll be on August 31st, it'll be four years that she's in remission, which is amazing for her cancer. Amazing. It's fantastic. And, uh, but there are scares. She gets scanned at the beginning. She got scanned every three months. 
Now she gets scanned every six months. Okay. And uh, at five years, I don't know what it's going to be, but she also, so she, her radiation pneumonitis also scarred her lung tissue. So she now has other uh, lung problems, but she's not on oxygen. And what else health wise? And she does get, um, because of the chemo and the radiation, it can really affect your heart. So she has um, heart echoes every year as well. So she's followed medically all the time. Yeah, pretty and, strongly. <clears throat> yeah. So when kids walk away from pediatric cancer, what I've learned is that your old life, you never go back to that old life. You have a new life filled with doctors and scans and scares and that constant worry. So um, it, it's dealing with that as well. You okay. just don't ever walk away from it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I can see that to some degree again uh, with what we deal with, with my daughter and, and her health issues. Um, you know, who she was before is not who she is now. Yeah. Um, there are there, and I always say there are shades of Kendall that I see from that I, that I remember of her being before our hospital stay and before her diagnosis and everything that we went through. But you know, any type of uh, you know, for our for our case, I mean, we were in the hospital for, for ninety seven consecutive days. Wow. You know, um, and so you know, being that long in a hospital, it, it makes it hard to like for me. I can't go back. It's hard for me to go back to the hospital, especially that children's hospital. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 33 of those days were spent in the ICU. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, you know, it, that and for <laughs> it took me a little bit of counseling and some therapy to understand that I was dealing with a form of PTSD because mm. as a parent, you go through trauma yes. with these things as well. That's right. So I can only imagine some of the trauma that you had to deal with emotionally and mentally as a parent going through these very real scares that you were going through. How did you and your husband become focused on forward? Because there had to be a point in time where you said, okay, we're, we, this is where we're at. This is where we want to go. So what was the point and how did you guys decide that this is what you were going to do? So my husband and I, really process life events differently. Um, but we respect each other and the way we do it is different. And so we really, like, I'm not forcing him to do anything and he's not forcing me to do anything I don't feel comfortable with. And so when I told him that I was really struggling and I really felt like the cancer was going to come back, but he was like, but we have to live in the moment. And I didn't know how to live in the moment. I couldn't accept to be able to put the worry out of my head. And so I did. I went to counseling for months. And I essentially, so I don't know if you're familiar with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and the stages of death and dying. And so. Heard of it. I, I haven't pursued it. Okay, so she has like this curve. Mm -hmm. And I first came across it when I was doing my master's degree and I was doing, and I used to be in human resources and I was 
I applied, or I didn't apply, I read research where they applied how employees feel when going through a merger or an acquisition to going through the stages of death and dying that Elizabeth Kubler-Ross had identified. Okay. And my psychologist basically explained the same thing. He says, and he told me that I had to mourn our old life to be able to move forward. And I, and I took that seriously, mm -hmm. especially after re doing all that research for the mergers and acquisitions, I would see some of the things that some organizations would do to help their employees move forward. And so I mourned the loss of our old life. And then I was able to start rebuilding the new life. And one of the first things that crossed my mind at the beginning of her cancer was that I will never go back to human resources again. And my husband and one of my closest friends said, you can't say that now. You're going through this life-altering experience. Mm -hmm. You really can't make decisions like that right now. You need to wait until after. I said, okay, I'll wait, but I'm telling you I'm never going back to human resources. I can't imagine caring about an employee's issues when there's this life and death issue. So right. sure enough, after I start healing, I realized that I really can't go back to HR. And I had this overwhelming feeling of having to dedicate my life to some higher purpose. Okay. I needed to be in service of people or something that benefited the greater good. My daughter was alive and I just needed to give back. And so one of the first things that I started doing was volunteering a lot, volunteering on behalf of the hospital and helping events that raised money for the hospital. Uh, the following year, the Radiothon, they asked to feature my daughter and I. And so 100% we're going to be one of those stories. And I even said in that Radiothon, I said, I one day I was like you listening to these stories mm -hmm. until I became a story myself. Right. And it's only if you fast forward during COVID, I was listening to Brene Brown's podcast and she was interviewing... Uh, a man, his name is Mark Kessler, and he worked with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and he lost a son, and he wrote a book about, um, about how he was able to heal and move forward, and the name of his book is Finding Meaning, and okay. what I realized is that no one can tell me that my daughter got cancer for a reason. A lot of people say, well, there's a reason this happened, you right. know, some higher purpose. I'm sorry. In my books, there is no reason that any child should have cancer. Any child should have any terrible disease where that child right. suffers. Right. But that idea of finding meaning I could totally understand because that's exactly how I was able to move forward. I had to find meaning in my life. Mm 
And the minute I found meaning in my life, I was able to start moving forward. So I found meaning in giving back to the hospital, but then I also found meaning in a future career. So I was able to give to a higher purpose and do something for a greater good. That's awesome. You know, and it's interesting. I, I started smiling and I, uh, when you talked about mourning your old life and, and I, I, because that was one of the things that my counselor talked with me yeah. about. And so I, okay. I wasn't smiling for any other reason other than the fact that I was like, well, it's nice to know that somebody else had to get that admonition as well. Uh, because, and I, and I think this is one of those things that kind of runs, um, congruently through, through parents who go through this type of situation with a child is that, and I think even if you're, you're the, the person who's gone through it yourself is that you, you hold on to what was so strongly. Yeah. yeah. And, and in that moment, it's hard for you to relinquish the thought that you can't go back to that. And it's hard to accept that things can be and are most definitely different now. Yes. You know, um, you know, especially so for like my daughter, uh, her muscles and joints don't work the way that they used to. Okay. And so uh, running and jumping and, you know, there's excess fatigue now and all these different things and, and there's muscle soreness and we're on, we're, we're medicated every day for muscle and joint issues and, oh. you know, you know, and so there's all these different things. And so helping her to come to a point of understanding that, yes, this happened. Yes, it sucks. There's mm-hmm. no two ways about it. It sucked for you. It sucked for us. It sucked for everyone involved. And there's, unfortunately, there's not a, a way that I can go back to a time before uh, March 30th, 2019 and make this make this yeah. different. Make So trying to find that level playing field where you can move forward, you know, is difficult because like you said, you know, that's, that's where you have to learn how to mourn your former life. And, and, but also uh, one of the other things that we talked about with my counselor was, was not just that learning how to mourn that, but also how to uh, embrace what you have and move forward with it. And finding, you know, uh, finding the beauty in all those different things, because even though our lives are, they're different, they're, there's no two ways about it. Um, you know, uh, it, it's just not the same anymore. But there are still things that are beautiful about the life that I have now and the daughter, the way, the who and what my daughter is now is is still a beautiful thing. And there's, there's you know, and, and getting to her to appreciate that, getting myself to appreciate that, helping my wife to appreciate that. It's, you know, it's a mindset change Yes, and and learning how to adapt and move forward. So, and I was thinking about that as you were talking about it, just because it's, it's nice to hear it from somebody else because it means that, that it wasn't just me. I wasn't on this Island by myself where I had to go, okay, this is how we're dealing with this. Yeah. Um, you You're know, most so. definitely not alone on your island. <laughs> I believe that we're we're all because we don't share like how do you share with people that you've mourned the end of your old life? It's it's right. it's hard to process. And there's also this idea we're human beings, we don't like change even though our lives are constantly changing in minute ways. We don't <laughs> right. like we don't like big change. 
No. It's we're creatures of habit. And so here's a big change. We didn't ask for this change. So our first instinct is to fight against it. That's true in every situation. How can we? And so this I've learned since, and I've learned it for my new career, but it's so applicable in this situation. How can we apply this idea of same but different? So we live a different life, but the core of who my daughter is is the same. Absolutely. She, this matured her and this gave her a framework and we both stop, we both suffer, excuse me for stuttering. We both suffer. And I'm saying this is a self-diagnosis from PTSD. Every time we walk into the hospital to get scan results, the two of us, and she looks at me and she says, what if today's the day? Um, And we've had so many scares. So it's Mm. not like this is out of the realm of possibilities. Um, What she doesn't know, what I've hidden from her is a bunch of the kids who she went through treatment. Some of them have passed away. Um, Mm. Some of them have relapsed. I don't share any of that with her, but I have that. I have... um, and so it's it's extremely scary. But how can we say that right, our lives yeah. are the same but slightly different and that we are still capable of enjoying our life? Okay, pre-COVID. <laughs> COVID <laughs> has, has put a huge uh, dent in our plans in terms of uh, life enjoyment. But Agreed. But before COVID, like, family vacation we could still enjoy family vacation we could still you know she was going to camp before covid um we were still able to retain some things that we had before and cherish them even more find Um, some level of normalcy exactly and as long and as you said we have to reframe the situation if we just focus on all that we've lost you know my daughter says had she never had cancer, she, she would have never become friends. Like we're very close to a lot of the hospital employees, really close. That's they awesome. would have never em- entered our lives right. if this had never happened. We would have never been able to have fuller hearts because we've met these amazing people. Um, she met and developed a relationship with PK Subban. I see you're a hockey fan in your background. So, you know, she said, I would have never met P.K. Subban without this. She got to go on a movie That's set. So fantastic. Despite the the negative, she's able to reflect now and look at some of the positives and some of the things that she has, in fact, gained from this awful experience. And so I go back to that Mark Kessler and finding meaning. How can we find meaning to move on? Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, one of the things our our counselor told us was that you're going to have a lot of negatives and it's easy to focus on those, but there's going to be rays of light that poke through and find ways to celebrate the minor victories each each day. What's the positive of each day? And so, you know, that's one of the things that we try to do. And I don't know that we hit it every day, but we try to remind ourselves of, of, hey, what's the positive of today? What 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 good thing happened today? Uh, especially on the days when when there's you know high pain levels or or yeah. we're having we call them down days when we're having a down day um, you know so those are the things that are kind of important 
So what is the, the health status of your daughter now? So she's in remission, uh, meaning, well, in the cancer world, remission just means that there's no evidence of disease right now. Correct. So she's not going to be considered cured until five years. Um, the type of cancer she has is one that really does like to come back. So, and I know that there's a high chance that it'll come back, but we're hitting four years. Everybody's shocked we've hit four years. Um, and so we're going to keep going. We are just, we celebrate every single year, August 31st, that she is cancer free. Um, and I live for August 31st <laughs> of every year. But um, she does have a, like other health issues. So as I mentioned, the radiation pneumonitis scarred her lungs. Sure. So her bottom right lung has scar tissue. And our lungs, you know, they're like balloons. They open and mm -hmm. close as we breathe in. So hers are at the bottom of her right lung. They're permanently open. So for instance, covid we didn't know how that would affect her because when she gets sick, it immediately get, becomes infected. So COVID, whereas my son was able to go back to in school as long as the government allowed, she was not. She had to live stream her classes from home. Sure. So her lungs are an issue. Um, and we just, you know, she's missing ribs. So it complicates life. Um, a bit. Um, her body isn't shaped the way it was, it would have been if she wasn't missing ribs. Um, the radiation has caused her rib cage to not grow at the same rate as her left side. So there's some physical, um, there's physical evidence. And sure. we're dealing with it. We speak to surgeons and we just we try and take it step by step. And as long as we deal with one issue at a time, it's manageable. When there's too many, like this past fall, there were a lot of things happening at the same time. It was way harder for me to cope. If it's one thing at a time, it's a lot better. Um, we found out in March or February that she had gallstones and her surgeon said, it's very common on the adult side that after going through chemo, people will develop gallstones. And they were so big that they had to take them out. So in March, she had surgery to have her gallbladder removed. So okay. there's all of these like after effects sure. that cause us always these little hiccups, these bumps that we have to overcome. Like what, you know, did she really want to have surgery again? No. Did I want her to have surgery again? No. no. But... <laughs> You know, we had to do it. There was no other right. choice. And so there's these things that happen now in life that make things a little bit more complicated. Understood. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've got about uh, about 14 minutes left. So I want to make sure that we have a couple minutes to talk about your podcast as well. How did you, where was the point where you decided <laughs> I've gone through all this, I need to become a podcaster? So I never had that thought cross my head. It was actually my neighbor. So my neighbor is a podcaster. His name is Phil Pinsky, and he's had a podcast for the past six years. It's called um, Reclaimed Audio. And he said to my daughter, you should have a podcast. 
Mm-hmm. What you've been as ma- through is amazing. Other kids need to hear. And so I thought it was a great idea. My daughter did not. Um, <laughs> she was, this was uh, a year and a half ago. So she was a preteen. Uh, she was just about to, like, she didn't want to know anything about this. Sure. Um, just leave me alone. Let me deal with my my teenage life. So then he turned to me and he said, well, you should do one for sure. And I'm like, well, I can't carry a podcast all on my own. He said, so get someone. So I reached out to a few friends who also have had challenging parenting life experiences and no one wanted to do it. And I reached and then I was interviewed for a blog and it was an it was a journalist who was doing it. So I said, "Oh, you're a journalist. You're used to interviewing people. How about we do this together? We're co-host, and you ask me questions." And she said, "No, I really believe you have a message, and your message should be shared, and you can really carry this on your own." And I was very nervous. It was outside of my comfort zone. But so I have a new career. I'm a life coach now for the neurodiverse community. And as a life coach, I like to get coaching myself. So I always have a coach who's coaching me. So I use my coaching sessions to focus on the podcast so that I can move through my fear and just get stuff done. And that's how I did it. I came up with this idea. Oh, the other reason... The other things that were telling me to do it, an old employee, because I was an HR person, an old employee told me out of the blue, you really should be a motivational speaker. I think a lot of people need to hear from you. And I put that out of my mind. And then the summer, like last summer, exactly a year ago, (laughs) two moms approached me at different points and they each told me separately without talking to one another they said we could listen to you speak for hours and I said okay something in the universe is telling me something and that's when I decided to explore it through coaching and come up with the idea of the podcast and what it was going to be about and I executed (laughs) <laughs> and Excellent. so I launched my first episode in January. All right. So yeah. tell everybody what, what's the name of your podcast? What What's the topic? What do you discuss? That kind of thing. And where can they find it? Okay. So the name of the podcast is Being With Joy, A Quest to Crack the Parenting Code. And it's about my parenting journeys. What I haven't discussed in this podcast yet is that a year after my daughter's treatments, she was diagnosed with ADHD, three learning disabilities, and anxiety. And I'm that parent who's going to move heaven and earth to make things better for my daughter. So when she was vomiting and everybody said just accept her vomiting from the chemo, I kept hounding at the doctors until we found a solution. And so I'm that pit bull who's going to go after... And when she was diagnosed with ADHD and learning disabilities, I had to research it and I became an expert in it. So then I said, okay, I'll take that and become a life coach. And that's how I'm now a life coach for the neurodivergent community. Okay. So I said, 
the way I parent is different because I'm very research-based. I will follow the research. I want to listen to people, but I've also been on a journey and COVID helped me a lot. And I want to share everything I've learned with the world. So my podcast is about my parenting journey, the things that I've learned, and then I throw a bit of life coaching because at the end of every ap episode, I kind of turn it on the audience and I ask them a question about their parenting and to start reflecting on their parenting journey as well. And so you could find the podcast. Um, I host it on Buzzsprout. So you can find it at beingwithjoy.buzzsprout.com. You could also find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and uh, Pocket Casts. Okay. So it's pretty yeah. well out there. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Okay. It is. All right. So excellent. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. You're talking about getting into, into podcasting and it's, it's, so there's, I see a lot of similarities between your story and how you and your, what happened with you and your daughter and, and your family's situation. And then also how you got into podcasting. Um, and I've told the story a couple of times, but I'm going to, I'll tell the cliff notes version of it. So it's kind of funny to me because, you know, you're talking about, oh, well, I don't want to be a podcaster. That wasn't for you. And, um, so my counselor was telling me to, to write a journal. Okay. And I'm not a writer. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be a writer. I'm not a writer. <laughs> how could I be a writer? You know, I don't, you know, I don't really have anything. I don't know how I would say that. Um, so anyway, I, uh, and, 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 you know, and I didn't understand what journaling was. I thought it was like, you know, some type of diary thing where I had mm. to write it every night. And, you know, that's not what a journaling is. I, I know that now. I didn't understand it then. So in talking, she said, well, what about a video blog? You're, you know, you're easy with talking. You, you have, you have a level of comfortability talking. What if you did a video blog and shared that out? And I thought, well, you know, the thing is I'm okay. And I'm comfortable with talking with my, about my scenario, my situation, but I don't want to talk about it every week. And, you know, or every time I sit down in front of the camera, I think that'd be too much for me. And I think that, you know, I don't think anybody pay attention to that because they'd be bored. So in talking with another friend of mine who hosts a podcast called the Curiosity Hour podcast, okay. uh, he suggested that, hey, why don't you look into podcasting? Okay. And again, I said the same thing. Well, that's all fine and good, but, you know, nobody's going to want to listen to my story over and over again every week. And so that's where it became, well, talk to other people. Talk to them about their scenarios. And if there's somewhere where you can relate, then relate with them. You know, so that's kind of how that's kind of how focused on forward came to be. Mm -hmm. um, and focused on forward was kind of a mantra that my wife and I used. Uh, well, because I in my 30s, I had heart issues. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, I'm 44 now. And then, of course, with my daughter was in the hospital, one of the during both instances, what we'd always say is, well, we have to focus on moving forward. Mm -hmm. That's what we're going to do. We're going to focus on moving forward. So when it came time to name the podcast, it was really for me, it was really very simple. Well, it's focused on forward. Let's, that's yeah. what we're going to call it. Yeah. So, but I just wanted to say that um, I really appreciate you coming on tonight and sharing what you shared. I, I know it's not an easy thing to do. I've been on your side of the microphone several times telling my story with what's happened with my daughter and, and what we've gone through. And I, and I know it's not an easy thing to do. Um, but I just want to say thank you for your the openness with which you speak, because 
and I, you know, some things that that our audience may not understand is how difficult it is to share some of these facts and details and what you've gone through, especially when you start talking about specific days and dates and, and things along those lines. So again, just thank you for being on tonight. Thank you for being such an amazing guest. And I really enjoyed having you on tonight, Joy. I really appreciate it, Tim. I think that we're going to even start a nice friendship from this, but uh, thank you so. for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, the store, part of moving forward and finding meaning in my life is to bring attention to pediatric cancer and what it does that children get cancer too. We hear about adult cancers all the time. We shy away from talking about children and cancer. And the only way that I could put this horrific thing that's happened to us to good use is to bring awareness to this issue and to other children who are struggling every single day and who are getting diagnosed every single day around the world with cancer. So um, that's another way that I find meaning is to share my story. Awesome. So thank you, Tim, for giving me that platform. Well, thank you for being here. I, I, so guys, go give a listen to... <laughs> Uh, Joy's podcast and Joy's just so I don't I don't massacre the name please one more time what's the name of your podcast <laughs> thanks being with Joy a quest to crack the parenting code there we go I got the first half down no problem yeah it's the quest to crack the parenting code that's the one that that I'm not uh, remembering so swiftly but uh, but yeah so go check her out you'll be able to find her podcast on almost any uh, of your favorite audio podcast destinations and of course, you can find her uh, on uh, her website as well. So um, just again, thank you, Joy, for being here. Thank you, everyone, for paying attention. And that's going to conclude us tonight for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof, through our Facebook page named Focused on Forward, or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.